Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're actually doing one of our director follow-up special episodes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the creepy kid horror movie Z, which is out now on Shudder. And today I'm going to be talking with its director, Brandon Christensen. Brandon's from here in Las Vegas. I've known him for years now, and so I was really happy uh, to get a chance to not only spotlight his film, but to get a chance to talk to him. And we have a great conversation coming up here on the episode. So if this is your first time listening to Piecing It Together, uh, I, I do hope you enjoy it, and I hope you subscribe wherever it is that you like to listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on TuneIn, we're on Stitcher, we're on all the major podcast apps. We're even on the one you're listening to it on right now. How about that? Uh, so you should subscribe. You could also follow us over on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show, as well as everything else happening in the world of movies right now. So Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, go join the group. We'd love to have you there. So, uh, you know, I think without any further ado, let's get into this conversation because uh, we get into a lot of great inspirations and, you know, the movies that inspired Brandon as well as uh, movies that we talked about on the main episode and just talking about filmmaking in general. It's a great talk, so let's get into it. All right, so joining me today, we are going to be talking about the film Z with the film's writer-director Brandon Christensen. Brandon, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm um, all right. I, uh, I have been so super busy with just recording these podcasts and just everything that's been going on. How have you been doing? You seem to be on a little bit of a whirlwind with this movie and getting out there doing lots of press and stuff. Yeah, it was kind of weird. It came out at such a, a strange time for the world. So I think, uh, you know, it was a little beneficial for the film because a lot of people were kind of stuck at home and they had nothing to do. So I think when new stuff comes out, they're, you know, they're eagerly gobbling it up. And so I think, um, you know, like we, we saw early numbers of how the film did on Shudder and, uh, you know, they were they were really good. Shudder was super happy with it. Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of the, it feels like it, it you know, it, 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 it was a fairly sizable release just compared to, you know, the last film I did where it, it came and it sort of had this, it had a longer period of time where people were discovering it. Whereas this was kind of like hyper-focused right at the top. So it felt like a, you know, like a pretty, a pretty serious release, which was, which was fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I, it's everything's been so strange. I mean, uh, <laughs> sure I've got is. three kids and stuff, so there's never a shortage of things to do. It's just, mm -hmm. um, it's just trying to, 
try and be creative or whatever during this time because it's just you know can totally just sap your energy yeah and speaking of which uh you know before we start getting into z you've been uh you you posted those short films and stuff right Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the first month or so of the pandemic, I guess you would call it, um, I spent a lot of time just sitting and reading and just like, you know, sort of wallowing in that in that that feeling of despair that everyone's kind of going through where you don't really have uh, any answers and you're kind of just searching for anything. And then after about a month where it seemed like, OK, this is going to continue to go. I was like, how can I take advantage of this time? Because I think the worst thing would be if, you know, three months later, two months later, even you come out of it and you go like, I didn't accomplish anything, you know, <laughs> right, like totally. I, I, I stopped eating good. I, I stopped doing any sort of exercise because just sort of everything was sort of shaken. Um, so I, I was just like, I need to do something. And I, ha- I had these um, this little script called Scaredy Cats for, that I wrote for my kids. I, I wanted to do last year and I just never got around to it. And um, Uh, I was just like, you know what, I've got the gear, I've got the kids here, we're kind of locked in, let's, you know, we should give this a shot. And so I just uh, started shooting one night and realized quickly, like, okay, these kids aren't actors, this is going to take some time. And so (laughs) every night for like 30 to 40 minutes, we would just shoot a shot or two and just try and work through it. And then eventually, you know, I'd be cutting it as I go. And um, finally, I got it to a point where I was like, okay, this is good enough. And let's, let's get it out there. And then that, that kind of led to another one. And uh, I've got other ones I want to do, but I'm just sort of waiting to see what else. Uh, I've got a few things happening. For sure. Yeah, no, it, it's been a very productive time for myself as well. It's like, yeah, you're either going to just sit around and do nothing or mm-hmm. you're going to make the most of it, you know? Right. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I mean, like Animal Crossing is... Uh, you know, swept the entire world. It seems like everybody's got uh, <laughs> that going on. And I, I, I do imagine a lot of people will come out of this with a really nice village that they created, but um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's funny that you brought up Animal Crossing already because I was debating whether or not to bring up uh, what you've been playing <laughs> on Nintendo lately because I always see you on there whenever I, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> whenever I turn mine on. So. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't play. I played a lot of Animal Crossing at the top, but my kids, um, they play it too. So they're playing most of the time if you see me on there. Yeah, they, they play a lot more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a couple uh, quick questions and then we'll get into some of these uh, puzzle pieces that we talked about on the original Z episode mm-hmm. of Piecing It Together. But first two questions that I was wanting to talk to you about. First of all, I mean, horror. I just wanted to see is like you've really kind of carved a path out in horror so far with your career. And I'm just wondering, is that uh, is that a genre that really was something that you were looking to get into right from the get-go, or is it something you just you know kind of ended up in and now you're just rolling? Like, wh- are you big on horror as far as as a fan of it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I grew up you know always watching horror films. I mean, the one childhood memory that stands out the most was my parents allowing me to watch it, the Stephen King miniseries back in '91, and mm-hmm. I was six at the time, or maybe I was five, not quite six, but. Um, you know, that that show just like haunted me for years. And so my entire childhood until I was in the eighth grade was just sort of uh, plagued by this this recurring nightmare of Pennywise living in my brother in my closet. So it was just sure. like there was always this sort of uh, layer of fear underneath everything for me. And, and that would always, you know, on, on Halloween every year as a family, we would watch a horror movie and stuff like that. And so it was always just something that was it's not like I was like uh, crazy about it, but it was always present, you know, mm-hmm. and um, there's just that feeling, that visceral feeling of being scared that I think is so much fun. And so, you know, when I, I started doing short films like 10, 11 years ago and I, 
you know, I, I definitely leaned into horror for that too, because I think, especially in the short film world, uh, you know, horrors can often be so gag based and short films are also the same thing. Cause you just sort of have this one idea. Like you think sure. about lights out, which is like the perfect horror short film. Cause it's so short. It has this one gag that works perfectly and has a good payoff. So it's just like, it's fun to just sort of take these little ideas and make it a little cinematic package around it. Um, and just, you know, to try and sort of practice and figure out your craft. So when I was, when I was looking to do a, a feature, it always seemed right to do horror for me. I, and I don't know if that's where I'll continue to be forever, but, um, you know, the, the horror community as a whole is, is super inviting and super, you know, nice to be around and stuff like that. That's, mm. I think, you know, if you, there's a lot more like genre buffs and other things like drama films and comedy snobs that are just like, oh, that's not funny. And it's so subjective. Right. Whereas with horror, I think, you know, it's most of the time anyways, it's either scary or it's not. And um, even if it's not, you can appreciate sort of the artistry there. That's why like a lot of the makeup effects, you know, from like the thing or something like that, um, they hold up so well because there's so much passion put into it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's 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 just one of those things that I was always around. I my you know, my dad was a big Stephen King reader. So we had all the books and I've read a lot of the books and it's just sort of it's just something I, I just like the idea of telling a scary story um, that also has a good dramatic and, you know, emotional weight to it. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I, I try and do anyways. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I like that about the um, the passion that a lot of people in horror seem to have for their craft. And that that's that's the thing I think that stands out the most about the genre is that, you know, the people who are doing it, they love it. And right. they are the fans themselves. You know, I think that's great. The other thing I wanted to ask you before we uh, jump into some puzzle pieces here mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, we're obviously both Vegas people and coming up as a filmmaker here in Vegas. I'm just wondering if you could maybe talk for a minute about that. And, you know, obviously there's not a lot of filmmakers that have come out of Vegas and, you know, made a big, uh, big splash, but you know, your film is getting a lot of attention right now. How, how has it been a good thing, a bad thing coming from Vegas and, uh, you know, working, working around what Las Vegas is as far as a film city. I've been here about 12 years now. And, um, it's like the first film I ever worked on was It Stains the Sands Red, which I produced mm -hmm. for Colin Minahan and Stuart Ortiz. And um, it's it's kind of a it's a weird situation. Vegas is kind of just like this is a place in the middle of nowhere um, that nobody really thinks about being a film town. I mean, we're pretty close to L.A., which is cool. And so you can get there mm -hmm. if you need to. But, um, you know, there is sort of this community of filmmakers here. Like you've got your Kelly Schwartz's and your. Uh, um, you know, your Michael Mahal and, and Sonny mm -hmm. Mahal that have their, their, you know, endless movies coming out and everything like that. So it's, <laughs> there is like a community here. Um, and, and it's, it's sort of small, but there, there, it is very tight knit. And so, I mean, what I, I wasn't really into films until, um, you know, the last five years or so, but before that I was doing commercials and I was, you know, working with a lot of kids from UNLV and stuff like that. And the, and the talent coming out of there was just, you know, it was pretty great. Like there's a lot of talent a lot of them unfortunately do move to, to LA after you know after sure, a year or yeah. two because I mean that's generally where the film you know if you want to work in film that's that's a, gr a good place to be but um you know I've got a family I've got kids I've got I've got uh, a mortgage all this stuff so I've kind of just tried to carve out my own little thing where I can work from Vegas and and, and the two movies that I've directed they've both been shot in Canada where I'm from right, right. so it's just kind of like I'm, I'm able to do a lot of work here still. And then like, I've got a film that I, I'm trying to shoot this fall and I'm going to shoot in Vegas, which is going to be an interesting experience, but it's, it's just sort of, um, 
it's it, you know it's a nice place to live it's it's a kind of like a sneaky place because there's a huge community not just film people but video people and stuff like that because of the events and all that stuff and um one thing people don't really realize is that the the cost of living in vegas is so low you know when you compare it to somewhere like california there's there's no state tax the rates for things like that because it is a lot of uh business coming through they're they're still very high so i mean you can make a very very comfortable living just like being a camera operator or something like that in that sure. corporate space and you know that's how i kind of started was just getting you know gig work through that stuff and just sort of getting comfortable before I was able to say you know what I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to jump onto this project and spend the next three months not making any money so I can make a film. Um, so I think you know Vegas is pretty unique for that where there is a ton of people, especially in the commercial and corporate world, where they you know they all love to do this stuff and they they make a good living doing it. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to see more film people stay here and, and do stuff. But, I, you know, when you look at things like tax credits and stuff like that, it doesn't really make a ton of sense a lot of the time. I mean, that's why we went to Canada for stillborn, because we had such right. a low budget that we could take advantage of tax incentives where we couldn't hear. Um, like even the one I'm doing now, like the budget's going to be far lower than the the, the threshold that Nevada has. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of good people here. I'm friends with a lot of them. And it's just, you know, it's nice to see sort of the growth of filmmakers as they, they continue to make stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, it's always great, you know, when, when something comes out of Las Vegas or out of somebody like yourself, even though it wasn't shot here, somebody who is a part of this community, it's great to see. So uh, let's get into some of these movies that we talked about on the episode. So, of mm -hmm. course, these are things that we thought maybe might have had uh, some bit of inspiration for you in coming up with Z. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to uh, pick out a few and get your thoughts on them. And then we'll see if there's any major ones that maybe we missed uh, okay. on the episode. So first one, uh, the guest for the episode was uh, film critic Josh Bell, mm -hmm. just write for The Weekly. And for he has his awesome movie year podcast and all that, and uh, he mentioned Ari Aster and Hereditary, um, which I thought was a uh, a wonderful thing to say, a nice compliment for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was nice of him. Um, he, he, Ari is you know in another stratosphere from from me, and and he's you know ju you know justifiably so. He's he's incredibly talented, and he's a great writer and everything. So it's um you know it's cool to just anytime. That someone can bring that up but I, I do definitely think hereditary um was you know it's not really a full inspiration because that movie hadn't come out yet when the script had started and mm -hmm. so uh but i mean a lot of the things like i did use it as a reference for keegan connor tracy when i was just like one of the big things from the top was hey like don't be afraid to be ugly you know right like right. and then you pull up this frame of tony collette just like terrified and and it's not an attractive photo of her you know but it's so iconic because it's just like, it's so real and visceral. And I was just like, this is what you need. You need to just like, don't worry about your looks, like whatever, you know, people are ugly when they're dealing with stuff. And so that was definitely something that I, I was on. I was like, you have to watch this movie because it handles family trauma really well. Like, uh, you know, that the whole, um, the first act break when, when, Char when whatever happens to Charlie happens and the reaction mm -hmm. immediately after, um, you know, like that's, that's like the that's the best filmmaking I think he's done, and, and then he kind of followed it up with Midsummer. the The opening of that film is also just it's a very oh, similar yeah. thing, and it's incredibly haunting and just like it's so stylistically done, but still true to the emotion that he's trying to do. And so I think that you know I think he's like top of the you know 
top of the line uh grief filmmaker <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> uh so another one uh keeping in line with that is the baba duke yeah this is one that i i mean i had seen and i enjoyed and mm-hmm. uh it was never really an inspiration and i didn't really think about it until after people had started watching it and being like oh it's another the baba duke and i was sure. just like oh you know i guess you know it is very similar how it has um, a lot of stuff like uh, dealing with grief and dealing with um, de- depression and and sort of the 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 monster itself kind of being a metaphor for something else. Um, it you know it does definitely share some similarities. Um, it, when I will say that when we were kind of trying to come up with the creature design for Z, there were conversations like, okay, the Babadook is super iconic. It has the hat. It has the silhouette that you can identify. You know the artwork and stuff. You you, you know what it is when you see it because it's so unique. Um, mm. <clears throat> how do we do something like that? And the problem is like, I'm not a great artist and we have no money to hire great artists. So it, it ends up just, you, you, you can't really go with that really theatrical approach where it has this, these flourishes and, and these things. So you give it identities in other ways, like, uh, like 2% milk perhaps. And, um, <laughs> so it, like beyond sort of monster design ideas, um, it wasn't ever, you know, talked about too much, but I will say like, when when you're when you're writing a script for an eight year old, you do worry that you're gonna have the Babadook child actor performance, you know. So because I mean, as great as that movie is, that kid is incredibly annoying. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of put off by that because he's always screaming and you know, it's it's kid actors. They're they're terribly sure. they're 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 very hard to work with. So when writing dialogue and stuff like that, it was very much about keeping it simple and keeping it smaller and like. You know, you want to mitigate as many chances for something to not land because of a performance. And we got super lucky because Jet was able to do it all. Like, there's no, there's nothing in the film that I kind of cringe through where I go like, ah, crap, you know, it's kid actor. And, and, you know, that goes all the way to just him being on set. Like, he was never just a kid actor. He was always just Jet, the actor, because he's very polished. He's been in a million things. Mm -hmm. So it was, we got super fortunate with him. But that, you know, it's always the fear. I mean, if we knew ahead of time that Jet was the kid, he probably would have had a lot more you know, the sixth sense type lines in there just to like right. give him, give him the opportunity. So, but when you're going, you're just like, okay, we're, we're on a path. We have to follow it. Is a challenge like that something you uh, enjoy and look forward to? No, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's terrifying because I mean, when you're doing an indie and you're doing a small budget film, you're trying to keep the amount of fail points to a minimum, you know, like, you don't want to, you're not going to write a film like, like Z. And then all of a sudden you, you jump to air force one and there's like bad guys and guns. And you're just like, you just don't do that because you don't have the budget at the time or anything like that. You have to keep things very small. So, um, you can have your little set piece opportunities, like going to a a play, an indoor play place, or you can like uh, go to a train yard. So you have these, these moments, but yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're definitely just trying to limit the amount of headaches that could exist. And, And that all started from when we worked on it, stains of sands red, um, we were shooting like an hour to two hours outside of the city every day. So you wake up extra early, you drive for an hour to two hours every day so you can get to your location and then you, you're shooting for however long you can until the sun goes down and then you mm-hmm. have to drive an hour to two hours back and then, you know, the cycle repeats. And so when we went into stillborn, it was like, how do we do the opposite of that? Uh, let's do it in a house where we don't have to drive anywhere. It's just like, you know, it's very comfortable. And so, yeah. yeah, you're definitely aiming for a more comfortable shoot. And so, you know, adding things like a kid and stuff like that is is a risk that 
um, is kind of terrifying to get into. And it's, it's just one of those things that you just have to deal with. <laughs> so sure. we, I mean, again, we just got super lucky with Jet because he was, he was never really a problem. Well, speaking of kids, the omen. <laughs> yeah, I, that definitely. That was a big, a uh, big thought for me. I mean, with stillborn, we had just come out of the, the parent, like the newborn phase with our second son. And so, um, after that had released, I remember I was in overlook and I was sort of just like walking around the hotel and uh, the, the film festival overlooked the film festival. And sure. I was just sort of walking around the hotel and just like, what can I do next? Cause that's what everybody asks when you release something. It's, it's not like, Hey, let's talk about this. It's what do you got next? And it's just like, oh, yeah. I just spent two, two years of my life to get you this. And now it's, you want something else. So, um, you know, I, I'm just like walking around and uh, I wanted, I, I started to think of the omen. I'm just like, okay, well I'm coming up to those years. I've got a five or six year old and it's, what in that age range is something that I can, you know, sort of draw from, from my own experiences of, as a parent. And um, it wasn't until a little bit later that the the idea of an imaginary friend came out from conversations with my wife. But it, it was definitely kind of like, okay, creepy kid, the omen. How do we how do we do something kind of new on that? And and that was definitely like the beginning of Z for sure. Sure. Absolutely. You know, we'll, I'm sure, get into more creepy kids as we're continuing to talk here, but um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. And uh, I'm going to go, we could have brought up, I think, uh, you know, a, a few different uh, modern horror series. The one that I brought up on the episode was the Insidious franchise. Um, I was wondering what you thought about that as far as uh, an inspiration. I thought maybe a little in like creature design, stuff like that. I think uh, I like the Insidious movies. I, I mean, I like the first two. Uh, I think mm -hmm. they've taken that franchise a little too far. But um, <laughs> the first one, I remember being incredibly scared of. I, I think, you know, that was kind of, uh, I feel like James Wan really coming out and being like, hey, everybody, I'm, I can make some super scary stuff. Because, you know, Dead Silence was fun and, and Saw was great. But it, it didn't have that just sort of uh, relatability for just like a general audience like uh, Insidious did. And, and I think just mm -hmm. marketing and... Uh, the score and everything on that was this, it, it's very, it, it was kind of unique for the time. And it, it just added to this, like, this movie is going to make you crap your pants. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say there's one scare in this film that a lot of people do draw comparisons to um, later mm -hmm. in the film. It's in the trailer. But um, <laughs> uh, that that is definitely an insidious type of move because that's kind of like always brought up as like one of the best jump scares ever is the plane, you know, middle of the day, out of nowhere, just like horrifying image behind someone. It's hard to escape that when you write something like that in the film. It's like there's only so many ways you can do that because you I mean, when you're working with perspectives, like you've got two characters talking from one another, you're only seeing what they see. So sure. inevitably, if you have someone behind them, it's going to draw that comparison. And it's not a bad comparison to make because, you know, it's definitely something that we talked about as well. But uh, mm -hmm. that movie, you know, it it it's a creepy kid film as well. I mean, the kid is sick for most of the film, so it's not like he's on the forefront of it. but. Um, yeah, I, I think I think actually both Stillborn and Enzi are both kind of uh, influenced from that film, like, you know, following Rose Byrne's character and just sort of the mom that's dealing with so much. I think, you know, that really that's definitely influencing these films. For sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to just go with one more, I think, and then we'll get into anything that maybe we missed on the episode. But, you know, it's kind of inevitable with a uh, imaginary friend to bring up Drop Dead Fred. That's a, I don't honestly think I've seen it. If I have, it's been 
forever that I don't remember any of it. Um, mm. I do know there's a, I don't know if you know the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Sure, yeah. Like Paul Shear and yeah. They did an episode about that and it was kind of one of their classic ones because the the hosts like June and uh, Paul and Jason, they, they didn't agree about what it meant and what it was. And so uh-huh. it's really funny to listen like it's uh, to just listen to them, uh, you know, just discuss it. And, and inevitably when you have an imaginary friend movie, I guess that's sort of like the touchstone one that everyone (laughs) kind of thinks of, because there's another film that came out shortly before Z called Daniel isn't real. And, Mm -hmm. um, they, it had the same comparisons and I know Adam, the director, and he's definitely dealt with the same question a million times. Like how much is, uh, how much is, you know, how much of this was influenced by drop dead Fred? And it's, it's like, I don't think anyone thinks about that. I just think it's kind of like the hot, like the, the, the group mind, like when you go on Reddit or something like that and, and there's like the top comment is always usually your first thought because sure. it's just very obvious. You know, it's always the obvious first, first thought that you have. And so it gets there and you just go, Oh wow. I thought of that. And you know, it just sort of perpetuates itself. So I think, you know, when, when Adam went into that script, I don't think he was thinking about drop dead Fred, but ultimately because drop dead Fred is kind of the one everybody thinks of, they're going to ask that. Yeah. There, I mean, it's, there's stuff that I, that I get compared to that. I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't even think of that. Like apparently paranormal activity three has a very similar plot line too. And I've seen that movie. So maybe subconsciously I knew, but I, I'm like, what I've, I've asked people, I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, which I have no idea. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's one that I guess we were influenced by just by, you know, doing the imaginary friend, but it definitely wasn't on purpose. Sure. Yeah. And I, to, to be honest, I don't even remember the movie either. Right. I'm sure I saw it back in high school or For something sure. and you know, it's just, it has to come up. Uh, but yeah, so that paranormal activity three, I don't recall the plot of that one, but, uh, maybe, but it, I guess let's move on to uh, any any movies that were a major influence for you uh, that maybe we didn't bring up on the episode. Yeah, I can't remember if you brought these two up, but these were ones that uh, the first draft of the script my wife and I wrote, and then Colin Minahan joined after the first draft, and we kind of reshaped a lot of stuff. And the whole third act was, you know, was born there. But two of the films that we were referencing, actually, there's there's three. One was Orphan with uh you know peter sarsgaard sure um that's that's it like it has very similar some very similar story beats in it to z um it has sort of like the the drive home when something bad is happening you know that was definitely Mm -hmm. heavily influenced by that um with peter sarsgaard i I won't spoil that movie but he's at home alone with the orphan girl and the mom knows something's up and she's trying to tear home and you know theirs is the much higher budget version because they have like full (laughs) highway chase stuff happening whereas we have me and one of the producers with the camera driving on the streets of calgary alone after production um but that was definitely one i mean just the whole idea of bringing you know something being brought home whether it's imaginary or an orphan child that you adopt and it just sort of terrorizing everything and just sort of um revealing different secrets in the family that uh have been kind of bottled up like uh, there's alcohol issues there's infidelity in that film um, and they, and they would have probably been okay had that orphan not come in. So it's kind of that, sh- it's like the house of cards. Everything looks right. so pretty, but then you add this one card that causes the whole thing to collapse and, and it's fun to watch that. Um, so that was definitely one, one that we, it, it wasn't really as inspirational from any real sense, but we did watch it a bunch of times just to sort of, to see how kids could act together. And it was the good son with Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. Sure. That movie holds up very well. 
it's 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 crazy to watch. I don't know if you've seen it recently. It's really funny because the credits mm. are in Comic Sans, and it's and it's <laughs> you know if you if you know the movie, it's a very it's a very dark movie. Yeah. But the music, like when you listen to the score at the beginning and the end of the film, it feels like a Disney coming of age film. And then it has nice. Comic Sans, and you're just like, this there's tonal opposite thing that's happening, and it's just very kind of strange. But in between those, those, it's it's a really great movie, and it's I, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it was when we were doing this, and just watching how the kids sort of acted and how, how natural with it. I mean, they were so good. It's crazy to have a film of that scale be anchored by two kids that were like 10 and 12, I think they were at the time. Um, but they totally, I mean, there's like one bad line by Macaulay, that stands out a lot. But other than that, like those two guys, they, they crushed it. <laughs> and then the third one was the ring, uh, which I'm a huge, huge fan of, uh, just the idea of, I mean, there, you can definitely see, I, did you guys bring up the ring when you did it? You know, we didn't. And that's like, like when I brought up insidious, for example, that's like another one of the modern horror, uh, franchises that I could picture being an inspiration on this movie. It definitely, uh, I, I kind of feel like The Ring inspired a lot totally. of the last 20 years of horror movies. Totally. I feel like, I mean, that script and just the movie itself is such a great, um, just like beat to beat. Like that first seven minutes, the opening with the two girls and the phone call and all that stuff. Like it's, you could take that away from the film and it could be a short film that stands up by itself. That's really good. And then, mm. um, you know, just as far as cold opens go, I think that's probably the best one ever. And I've, I've read the script and it's, you know, it's, it's all there on the page. Like it's perfect. And so, you know, and then you, you immediately are introduced to the characters that you're going to follow and stuff like that. But you have all this information already that you don't need to really do a bunch of exposition on later because you pretty much understand the rules. Sure. But, uh, that film has a bunch of stuff like the young girl, um, in the film when she has those interview tapes, like we definitely, were inspired by that when we did our interview with the little girl like we had her wearing a long white pajama set thing uh, her mm -hmm. hair is dark and long and just like the creepy girl thing um was definitely kind of you know an homage to that like we called her you know it was the ring scene was basically um <clears throat> her sitting in that room um and then just like just the whole thing about the investigation side i think you know i, I it's the box of plot is a very standard horror movie trope these days. I mean, even something like hereditary has it where mm. the character needs to get a bunch of exposition and she can't get it naturally. So she finds a box and it has the answers that she's looking for. Um, so we have, we have it less. So in this stillborn had it for sure. It's a legit box. And then this movie had a box that she finds a videotape in, which is the plot that, you know, sends the story forward and stuff like that. But um, that that whole idea of just like finding a videotape, watching the videotape and you seeing like that's totally, you know, the ring did that so well with the lighthouse on the edge of the screen and like, oh, I've got to go there. Sure. And then you cut to the big sweeping shot of her driving to the lighthouse, like stuff like that was was uh, was influential. And it's just my wife and I watch that a lot uh, during the time to just kind of break it down as a film and be like, OK, so what's happening here? What's happening here? And then just to sort of get a feel for the the ebb and flow of that story, because to me, I feel like that's like the perfect uh, horror film. And it's not even that scary, which is funny. But like you think of it as being super scary. I remember seeing it in theater. And at the end when the the the, the TV snow happens, I, it, I was just like terrified by it. And then anytime you see that TV snow, you just like have that moment of pause. But when you watch it, it's very much just like a, a family drama. 
And it's like, mm -hmm. it's very, you know, the music is very orchestral and it swells and it's beautiful. Um, but there are these punctuating moments in the film where it is just like straight up horror. And those are the moments that kind of stick with you. But when you watch the film, they're not really the biggest pieces of the film at all. It's just the sure. the story is great. It's just it's got a ton of intrigue. Yeah, I think th I think that's where I connect the most with a horror movie is <laughs> when it is more of like, you know, some kind of a family story or there's something else going on other than let's just scare the audience for nine right. minutes. For sure. And yeah. I think that's why uh, slasher movies and stuff, they're super fun. But uh, maybe on like a commercial scale, they don't scale up as well as something like The Conjuring where that can make a ton of money in theaters because everyone, most, uh, you know, a lot more people can relate to this idea of being home and being not safe, you know, whereas a masked killer is fun and it's scary, but it doesn't have that like uh, instinctual fear that you feel like, you know, Paranormal Activity was such a great example of a film that just like, it just like perverted the idea of being home alone and sure. feeling safe. Like all of a sudden you're not safe in your own home. And uh, it's, you know, it's just this, there's just a feeling of being uncomfortable in the safest place you can be. And that's, that's, that's a lot of fun, I think, as an audience to live through because everybody has those thoughts, you know, when they're home alone, they, they're scared of the dark, they're scared of whatever. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's, it's just because you just kind of get anxiety about being um, too comfortable, I think. Sure. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you one other thing about the film itself. You you mentioned earlier, I, I believe you said that when Colin came on to the script, uh, is that when the kind of the major shift in the third act kind of came about in the idea? And where where did that idea come from to like have such a big shift in the story at that point? The yeah, the first draft of the film, uh, I would like the ending ending was the whole thing at the house where the husband dies and Z's on the wall and blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. And and then sort of just like a brief aftermath of that. And it was kind of sloppy and lazy and it, and it was a first draft. So it's always kind of just like you're figuring it out. But um, it, it was never intended to go any further than that. And so Colin, when when he was when he came on, um the big, I mean, a couple of the biggest changes he made were we we had two kids in it initially, like they had the older brother, the younger brother. And that was because mm -hmm. I had two kids. And so I was really kind of doing that. Um, and so we dropped the one kid, which makes sense. And, you know, it would have been impossible to have like a one or two year old. But um, uh, that was one. And then the biggest conversation that we had, and this was the hardest thing to crack for the whole thing was just like, Ultimately, I mean, we knew, you know, Beth having the imaginary friend when she was a kid and it wanting her back. That was always kind of the original idea that we had. Um, but the question of why was the big thing. And it was just like, you know, in my draft, it was kind of like, oh, just because I mean, there was a whole thing with her dad that um, it, it touched on, but it wasn't exactly the same. And there was no just like there was there was the answer of how it came to be kind of thing like with the dad dying and blah 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 but there was mm -hmm. no like what does z ultimately want and that was the big thing that we'd have like we were just like constantly talking and just having these brainstorming sessions and coming up with the dumbest ideas um <laughs> and eventually just those conversations led down the path of like well what if you know what if z wins and what if you know she has to move in with him and she has to pretend because when she was a little girl um, she made a promise that they would get married and have babies. And so we were just like, okay, that's interesting. And we went down this idea of like, okay, well, what if, you know, the film kind of starts where you're in Beth's point of view and you're watching, um, 
you know, her kid and you don't see what her kid's interacting with. And then all of a sudden it shifts to the opposite of that where Beth's acting like the little kid. And we are almost like the parent and we don't get to see what she's interacting with. And so it came up, you know, it ended up sort of leading us down a rabbit hole of these kind of interesting scenes, like her giving breakfast to someone that's not there and Mm -hmm. uh, how, you know, just like filming that. And there's a scene that's deleted where she's, um, where she's standing in the doorway and like Z is watching TV and it's a very abused housewife situation where she's just like scared of him and he's given a ton of power in the frame, but there's no one there. So it's like, you're shooting a big, you know, a recliner and it's filling the frame and she's really small in the background and you're just like filming nothing, but you're giving it so much power in the frame. And you're like, just the audience is filling in the gap. Like just, you're like, Oh, okay. Z's there. He's turned away from her. So he's clearly pissed off. He's just watching Mm -hmm. his TV because he's clearly pissed off and she's just very scared of him. Um, and, and scenes like that were just like, you're shooting a scene that if there was another actor, it wouldn't really be that interesting. But when you take out the actor and you still film it the same way, to me, it became very kind of interesting and fun as a filmmaker. Cause like, you know, you still do the same thing where we have coverage of Z in the chair when they're having breakfast and everyone's like, okay, quiet, everybody we're filming, you know, and you roll on the camera and there's nothing there and you're just filming nothing. And it's just really funny. And it was, it was really fun to kind of play around with that. That's great. I love that. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think that kind of covers it. We, we, you know, got into a lot of the inspirations and all that stuff. I, you know, got to ask you those questions. You know, one other thing I was, uh, I was bringing up the IMDb page earlier, uh, mm-hmm. just so I could kind of take a look and I, I Googled Z and, uh, on the right side of the Google results was Jay-Z American rapper. And on the left side was Z on IMDb, your movie. Oh, nice. And uh, is, that's, uh, that's a pretty cool thing, I think. I, I do <laughs> wonder how much of that is algorithms playing with your, you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, when it first came out or when the trailer first came out, I checked and like I would put Z in YouTube and, and the trailer would be near the top. And then people are like, I don't know, that could just be because you've searched it a lot and it's in your, you know, your, your browser history. And so I was like, okay. And so I got a VPN and I started putting in different countries and stuff <laughs> like that. And, and like on half of them, it was still near the top. So I was like, I don't know, maybe it would be cool because um, that's one thing that you see all the time is that naming a film is like so important. Like you want to get higher up in the alphabet because the higher yeah. up, the, the higher up that you're going to be in the alphabetical list. And so you'll see a lot of films like I local filmmakers I know of, uh, they definitely lean up to the A's, you know, like one, for example, I remember the Mahal brothers, they did uh, party bus to hell. And Mm. then when the movie came out, it was changed to bus party to hell because, uh, you know, because of the, the alphabet. And so this was definitely like putting my middle finger up at that idea and being like, let's go to the bottom. Let's go Z, one letter, impossible to Google, <laughs> and see what happens. And it actually seems to work out okay. But it is funny, the day that the trailer came out, Shudder wrote us, and they're like, we need an, a different title. And it was like, well, one, it's too late. Like, we're, we can do whatever. And, and so if you look on YouTube, there's, um, it's kind of split in half. There's, some of the trailers are called Z Wants to Play, and some of them are just called Z, because they mm. put out a press release and the trailer the same day. And the trailer that they put out was Z wants to play and the press release, they changed it last second to just say Z. So there was like this confusion and I was just very interested to see what happened. Cause when I put Z wants to play, it was everywhere and it was really mm-hmm. easy to find. But when you do Z, it's kind of mixed. So 
Um, I was kind of happy to see in the end, they just ended up going, you know, what, screw it. And it's st- it stuck at Z and it had, you know, it did well. So it's, uh, that was nice, but I'm definitely not a stranger to making films that are impossible to Google because still born <laughs> with the slash, which seemed yeah. like a good idea at the time. Terrible. Um, <laughs> it, you can't, you know, when you find stuff on Google and you put up stillborn, it's a nightmare. So, uh, it's, it's definitely hard to find stuff about that film. And Z <laughs> is thankfully doing a little bit better than that. Nice, nice. So whenever I have somebody on the show, I always like to end it by asking them if there's another movie they watched recently they'd like to maybe recommend to our listeners. A movie that I watched recently, it's not terribly new, but it was very inspirational for kind of what I'm trying to do next was a Green Room uh, mm-hmm. with Anton Yelchin and Patrick Stewart and everything. Um, that movie, I, I, have, you, have you seen Green Room? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah I love it. super good. I'm way behind on that in Blue Ruin, but... Um, I watched it in the last few months and uh, I've never been as anxious watching a film as I was watching that film. Just like the edge of your seat, um, butt clenched thing for basically the entire runtime of the film because you know where it's going to go. You know, you don't know how it's going to get there, but you mm-hmm. understand the the whole idea of being stuck in a small space where everybody wants to kill you. Um, and just like, oh man, ever, just watching the entire thing it was just such a weird experience because uh, it's just, oh man, just straight up terrifying because it's not ghosts, it's not demons, it's just a realistic situation and it's asking you the whole time to sort of wonder for yourself, like, what would you do in this situation? And there's sure, no good yeah. answers at all to that. It's it's bad no matter how you look at it. Um, that, and, and Don't Breathe was another one. It's not a new film again, but I, I was late on that bandwagon as well. And I, have you seen Don't Breathe? I have. I, I actually, I think I bring that up way too often as a puzzle piece on this show. Really, yeah, it's so <laughs> yeah. good though. It's 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 so simple. It's a you know basically one location thing, but the cinematography and just the the presence of the house and how well you know it because I mean right off the bat in that movie it does this great wonder where it kind of takes you through the entire where the entire movie is going to take place as they're doing their home invasion, and so you really get a good sense of space in that. Uh, in the, in that house, which is so important when you're doing these films, because you want the audience to sort of know where the nooks and crannies where either they can be safe or they can be in danger. And so, and, and then when you open up the basement and everything changes, um, it's such an interesting thing. Cause it's like, you know, it's such a small idea, like, Oh, we go in the basement and that's such a small thing. But when mm. the basement has all this mystery in it and it changes so much of the story, um, that was really fun to watch because the story is so tiny. It's this one. It's very similar to Green Room where it's a very experiential thing. You're in a situation that you got yourself into and now you're in a bad situation that you need to get out of. But there's no real good answer of how to do it. And, you know, the characters make choices that for the most part make sense. So there's never that. You're never being taken out of it by doing that whole like, why? No, don't go in there. You know, you're you're sure it's just a bad situation. And <laughs> yeah. just the, the filmmaking, it's just incredibly tense, too. So that, that was a ton of fun as well. I don't know why I don't have anything new, probably because nothing new has come out in the last three months. Um, it's been a little difficult. Yeah, yeah. There, there's been some stuff, but it's it's hard to find. You just got to you got to keep your eyes open and look for it but i love that those two uh those two recommendations they kind of paint a little picture of where you're at right now with whatever yeah i guess so for sure (laughs) being stuck in a small space and just trying to get out and hoping that there's a solution yeah that that sounds (laughs) that sounds about accurate for sure (laughs) well brandon thanks so much for doing this It was a great time talking to you and i i wish you absolutely more success like this i'm really happy to see that people are connecting with the film 
Thanks. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad we got to do this. I apologize about last week. That's uh, it was, oh. I got I got the COVID test on Sunday, and the one where they go up your nose, and it's that's oh. a whole nightmare on itself. It's like total re- oh. recall. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll wear the mask for the next five years if I have to <laughs> to not have to subject myself to that. Right. No. No fun. No fun. Hello, welcome to the All Points West Podcast Network. This is Q. June is going to be huge for us. We're starting the month off with the launch of House on Fire, a podcast hosted by youth climate activists JP Mejia and Gabby Rodriguez and presented in partnership with the Clio Institute and Unicorn Fire Radio. We're talking climate change from the front lines of the crisis, Miami, with the generation who has the most at stake. In their first episode, JP and Gabby talked to the co-founder of Zero Hour, Jamie Margolin, about how Generation Z is taking up the mantle for action on global warming and what it means for the near future. The first four episodes are up on June 5th with more to come every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review now. Meanwhile, over on Awesome Movie Year, Jason Harris and Josh Bell are reviewing the year in film 1996, including Swingers, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Bottle Rocket, Independence Day, and more. They've got some awesome bonus content they'll be releasing later this month, but you need to subscribe to find out what it is. And over on Entre Dos, Monica and Paula are getting deep into the world of language rights and how parents can push for better bilingual programs in their communities. So check it out by subscribing today. All right. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brandon Christensen. Uh, As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, we would love it if you'd subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can also uh, rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. I believe Stitcher's doing reviews too now. So wherever it is you listen, if they take reviews, review us. Maybe even give us five stars. We'd enjoy that very much. And you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And make sure to check our back catalog of episodes. If there's a movie you've seen recently and we talked about it, I think you'd enjoy our conversations on whatever movies those are. We've done 130 of these things so far. Lots of episodes for you to go check out. We are always making more. We... we, aim for one a week but sometimes end up doing two a week most times end up doing two a week i don't know how that ever happened to me but uh yeah i tend to make two a week and uh you know i I enjoy making them i love doing it and i'm going to continue doing it and if any of you out there listening ever want to join me for one of these things um i'm always looking for new co-hosts to join the show we we like to mix it up we have back you know, returning co-hosts all the time, but I love having new ones on as well. So if there's a movie coming out and you think you'd like to do the whole puzzle pieces thing with me, definitely get in touch. I, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have you on sometime. So I think that does it for today. Uh, I'm going to close this thing out with a piece of music like we always do. All right, I think I'm going to go with something off my most recent album, Beater, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack, which if you're not familiar with, is the feature-length film Beater, which is coming out later this year, that I did the score for. It's got all the music from that film, as well as selections from uh, a whole bunch of short films I did with the same director, Chris Johnson. And so I'm going to play something from one of Chris's horror movies to keep in line with this whole Z theme. And I'm going to play the track No Escape, which was from a short film called Daisy. And this is on the Beater original motion picture soundtrack. So this is called No Escape. And uh, we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.